Before I get started, I want to share with you just about uh, some women's ministry that happened uh, just last night. And I love women's ministry for one very simple reason, because uh, every time my wife goes to a women's event and she always comes home with something chocolatey for me. Women's ministry and chocolate seem to go hand in hand. Well, it, it must have been a really successful event last night because I didn't have any chocolate. When she got home, there was no leftover chocolatey things. So glad about that. Uh, there's going to be more women's ministry stuff coming in the next uh, weeks and months. So uh, excited about that and excited about the ladies who are leading the charge there. And, and not to be left out, men's ministry is happening. I mean, we've got more men's ministry happening before 9 a.m. than most people have all day, you know what I mean? So you can find some information on our website about uh, both of those things and uh, even more stuff that might be of interest to you. So happy Mother's Day to 51% of you, approximately. Uh, I'm afraid I did not plan very well for Mother's Day. My message this morning is not particularly warm and, and tender and loving. It's not like a, a warm hug that you get from your mom, so uh, sorry about that. But it might, be, it might be just the thing that your mom needs you to hear, that kick in the pants that she's too nice to, to give you herself. So we'll find out together uh, what's going to happen there. And uh, I've got a friend who is a pastor, and uh, he's a guy who came to faith as an adult, didn't grow up as a Christian, came to faith as an adult, but he grew up with a mother who loved him and took him to church off and on, and so, uh, you know, somebody who wanted the best for him, and so, uh, but it didn't really stick for him, it didn't stick, and so by the time he was a young adult, uh, he was living on his own, doing life on his own, doing what he wanted to do, not terribly concerned with God, and that's when he almost died. Yeah, he was driving down the road in Southern California where he lived. He had a little convertible. And uh, as he was passing through an intersection, his vehicle was struck with a Coca-Cola truck. And I don't just mean like a little pickup truck. I mean a big Coca-Cola delivery truck hit him uh, right, uh, T-boned him there. So he was rushed to the hospital. And for a while, they weren't even sure if he was going to make it. But uh, he eventually recovered, although the accident did leave him with some uh, lingering effects. And for one, he was permanently disabled, his, his arm. Uh, and uh, that would be hard for anybody, obviously, but uh, had kind of a double impact on him. I mean, the natural trauma that goes along with, with that kind of an injury. But, uh, but for him, this disability hit home in a unique way because he'd been really uh, pursuing a career as an actor and now felt like that was kind of a door that had been closed to him. And... Uh, and so this sent him into some real self-analysis as he lay in the hospital recovering. That was kind of one of the other effects from the accident. He asked, as, as anybody would in that situation, why did God allow this to happen to me? Uh, you know, why would God kill that dream I had of being an actor in the process of this? And as he sat in that hospital recovering, he did a lot of thinking, a lot of self-analysis and uh, one of the lingering effects of that time was for him a, a re-understanding and, and eventually a commitment to follow Christ. Uh, instead of growing bitter and, and distant from God in that time, he really leaned into God, trying to make sense of his situation. And he realized that that dream of being an actor, that really wasn't God's dream for him. That was just his own dream 
for himself, and God had other plans, and this was a real turning point in his life. Uh, and, and one other effect that came out of this terrible situation, the driver of the Coke truck was, was found to be at fault in the accident, and so my friend ended up with a, a pretty significant financial settlement from Coca-Cola. So not that you'd wish for that for, for anybody in this kind of circumstance, but it certainly put him on a path as a young adult to, uh, it opened up a lot of doors for him, financially speaking. And so here he was, a guy who was called to serve God. He started to understand that and, and had a, a commitment to God, ready to, to do it, and then was financially in a position where he was pretty well resourced to do those things. And so after the fact now, my friend likes to say, everybody should be hit by a Coke truck. Uh, <laughs> You know, sometimes we need that kind of radical realignment in our lives, reprioritizing and, and refocusing. So maybe that's where you find yourself today. And if you were here uh, last week, you know, we began this series looking at the book of Hosea. We uh, got these short films that are kind of introducing uh, the, uh, the book each week. And uh, Hosea, he's a prophet of God, and the book that bears his name is really just a collection of prophetic messages and, and his own personal journey sort of mixed in with that. And Hosea was called, as we said last week, to show and tell the people of God what God is really like. And last week we talked a little bit about the, the purpose of prophecy or the point of it. When we hear that word prophet, you know, we tend to get uh, thinking about somebody who's predicting the future. But uh, you might be surprised to learn only 1% of all the prophecy in the scripture is, is yet to be fulfilled. Most of it is is not uh, future events. And so the job of the prophet is really not predicting the future. It's not so much uh, uh, foretelling as it is forthtelling. Uh, in other words, uh, not so much giving new information, but really just reminding people of things that God has already said and already revealed about himself. And we talked about uh, last week about the fact that God, he'd already put all his cards on the table way back in Deuteronomy. God told people what blessings would come if they followed him and what bad things would happen if they failed to follow him. You can see that in uh, Deuteronomy 28, if you're interested. And so for a person like Hosea, for any prophet, really, uh, they're called by God not so much to predict future events, but just to, to, uh, to reveal the things that God had already said and already shown about himself. So he reminds people what God is really like, and in the hopes that people will begin to live in a way that reflects what God is really like. And as we think about our own lives, we have a lot of that same role to reflect what God is like to the world. And just like the people in Hosea's time, it's easy for us to get a little confused, a little off track, and we begin to focus on the wrong things or, or uh, live in a way that really doesn't reflect God. It just starts to reflect our own priorities, our own uh, desires. You know, we're happy just cruising down the road in our little convertibles, not expecting that anything's going to happen to us. And so sometimes we need to be reminded of what God is really like. And the book of Hosea has a lot to teach us about that. And so, uh, so not only is Hosea's message uh, tell us about God's love for his people, but of course it, it shows us. His whole life shows God's love. And if you're familiar with the story of Hosea or if you were here last week, you know God asks Hosea to do something really hard. Uh, he tells him, go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So God asks Hosea to marry this woman of adultery, or in other translations, a woman of prostitution. 
Uh, God has not gone crazy in making this request. He has a, a purpose, and his purpose, Hosea's uh, relationship with Gomer has this purpose of reflecting the kind of love that God has for people, even people who don't deserve it. I mean, God, he's the faithful husband, and you and I, we're the adulterous spouse, you know, the one who pays lip service to God, but isn't really all that committed and is happy to chase a, a satisfaction in other ways, or, or the person who really kind of feels bad about re- rejecting God over and over and over again, but is just not quite ready to give up that lifestyle just yet. Well, that's who we are, right? And God loving us no matter what, that's who he is. That's what he's really like. He's faithful even when we're not. Jesus even died for us at a time when we were 100% opposed to him. That's God's unfailing love for us. And, and when we, we so often choose to repay him by looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in all the wrong places, right? And God loves us with a love that's very, very patient. He gives us lots of time and infinite amount of grace as we go our own way, chasing after this whim or that whim. But sometimes God needs to get our attention. Sometimes it happens in little ways, and sometimes every one of us needs to be hit by a Coke truck, right? Sometimes that's how God gets our attention, So let's talk about what God asks Hosea to do. I mean, here's Hosea. He's a young man just getting started in the world, and he looks around the world, and he's pretty disillusioned with the way things are going. He knows there's got to be a better way to live than than all of these people who are just doing whatever they want and ignoring God. I mean, he knows... He knows about God, and he knows what God wants, and he realizes that there's a real disconnect between the way people are living and the way they should be living. And, and so he starts to develop this passion, this passion to serve God, and he starts to really follow God. And I could just imagine all the ladies in his life just saying, oh, that young man is so smart and talented, and, and telling all their daughters, you should get to know that boy. He's going places, right? I mean, here's this guy. He's got a high, high ceiling because he's got this passion for God, right? And that's when God really gets a hold of him. I mean, God calls him to something big. God calls him to be a prophet. And God gifts him in certain ways so he can really reflect God to the world and, and change the world with this passion that he's developed. And, and the way that God calls him is really stunning. God tells Hosea, this young, promising, faithful Hosea, go marry a woman of prostitution. And I know he must have thought God said, go ruin your life, because that's what it felt like, you know. Uh, And I know that people close to Hosea thought that was exactly what he was doing. You're going to marry who? Are you sure? Are you crazy? You know, all these moms who thought so highly of him, now they're saying, you stay away from that boy. He's bad news. Everybody's calling up Hosea's youth pastor, trying to say, hey, you've got to talk this guy out of this. He's making a terrible mistake in his life, you know. God asks him to do something really, really hard as a way to reflect in just this bold, unmistakable way what God is really like. And I can only imagine the kind of thoughts that went through Hosea's mind. I mean, are you sure, God? I don't even have anything in common with this person. I mean, our interests are quite a bit different. Our histories are different. I... I'm just not sure, God. But Hosea does it. He follows God even though it's really hard. And then it gets harder. 
Because God wants them to have children together. And, you know, the, the first kid, the, the Bible tells us, it comes from Hosea. And the other two kids, it kind of implies that maybe they're not his. Maybe somebody else fathered those kids. And so things get even harder. And, and God asks him to give these kids kind of weird names. You can see that in chapter 1. I mean, you know, everywhere he goes, why would you name your kid not loved? Are you, you sick in the head? You know, everybody's... So everywhere he goes, he's got to tell the story over and over and over again. And people, I'm sure they responded with weird looks or, or just dismissive laughs. Or maybe they just walk away, you know. This guy's weird, Right. I mean, I know he must have thought about just walking away from it all. Just, just go move to another town, change the kids' names to something normal, and just start all over again, start a brand new life, you know? I mean, his ministry wasn't even making a difference. God's people were still headed down a path that wasn't right. And that's when God gives him a message to share with people. And it's a pretty harsh message. Uh, let's take a look at it. Uh, Hosea's first message is in chapter 2, and it starts in verse 2. You can see it on the screens here, too. Rebuke your mother. Rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, slay her with thirst. I will not show my love to her children because they're children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. The message goes on and on, but you get the idea. It's pretty harsh, right? But you know what? I bet Hosea secretly really enjoyed this part of the message. I mean, getting to tell people exactly how it is. Tough love, man. You know, it's about time the gloves came off. Uh, All these people finally getting what they deserve. No more laughing at the names of my kids or no more avoiding me because you think my wife's kind of trashy. I mean, let me tell you what God's going to do, right? And he lays it all out for them. And God has some pretty tough love. And at times when you and I are facing this kind of tough love, uh, When God's really trying to get our attention, uh, we think maybe he's just out to get us, just sticking it to us and kind of enjoying it, right? He's just just plowing us down with a Coke truck and ruining our lives and then keeps on driving. But that's not what God is like. God does things to get our attention, but he always does it with a loving purpose. God's not out to get us. God gets our attention to get our affection, God has a purpose in getting our attention. God ultimately wants to get our affection. And part of the way he gets our affection is by getting our attention, helping us wake up to the wrong ways of living, ways that don't reflect what he's like. So God gets our attention to get our affection. And in this passage, this this message that God gives to Hosea, there's three different ways that God gets attention. And I think there's three way, these three ways are ways that God still works to get our attention today. And so uh, there's these three very vivid images that God uses to describe how he gets our attention. Here they are. He says, he will strip us naked. He says, he will make us thirsty. And he says, he will wall us in or block our path. 
So each of these images shows up in this section we just read, this, this section of really God's tough love. And if you're like me, each of these things has happened to you at one point in your life, and, and God's been trying to get your attention. So I want us to explore these three images briefly. The, uh, verse 3, God tells his people, if they don't begin to follow him, he's going to strip them naked. And uh, that's one way that God gets our attention in order to get our affection. And I hope that you've never literally been stripped naked before, but I have. Yeah, before I became a pastor, I was a teacher, a high school teacher, and uh, I was lucky. I didn't teach something boring like math or English or whatever. I got to teach, uh, I mean, those are important subjects, blah, blah, blah. But I got to teach uh, drama, acting, all those kinds of things, you know, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun most of the time. And so, uh, but you know, I never set out to be a high school teacher. In fact, I went to graduate school. I studied theater at the graduate level. Uh, this, I have a master's degree in acting and directing. That's a true story. I have three college degrees, and, and look at me now, right? You know, I'm not even a doctor <laughs> or anything. But, but yeah, I, you could see my diploma hanging in my office. And I really thought that I was going to go on to be a, a college professor, uh, teaching theater and, and directing plays and all those sorts of things. And so I learned a lot of stuff about acting and about theater. And the truth be told, I've forgotten more about acting than probably anybody in this room knows about acting, right? And I, I know that sounds really arrogant and that's on purpose because I was really arrogant until God stripped me naked, right? So I was on this path to, uh, to a successful college professor, do all kinds of great things, earn accolades, whatever, whatever. And, uh, and I really threw myself into that wholeheartedly, and I, uh, yet I couldn't get a job teaching college. I couldn't find anybody that would hire me. And so uh, I took a job teaching high school. Well, you can imagine how much I really threw myself into that, right? I mean, it was not what I wanted to do. It was not the pay that I wanted or needed, but it was the door that got opened for me. And so begrudgingly, I took it. Uh, but I didn't have to like it, right? In my mind, I kept holding out for this other thing, this dream I had, this kind of vision of my preferred future. And, and so I took this job teaching high school, and in a lot of ways, I was really overqualified, uh, way more well-trained than any of the other theater teachers I worked with. There were four of us all together. And, and long story short, I mean, I know everybody's waiting for the part where I get stripped naked, but uh, <laughs> long story short, I had a really bad attitude throughout this whole first year there. I mean, I was not representing Christ well, and everything came to a head at this one out-of-town theater festival that we attended. And so... Uh, we'd been working on this play, and I didn't even like the play. It was weird, but uh, so I had a bad attitude about it. And, but we were performing it at this festival out of town, and a bunch of different high schools would get together and perform, and then they'd have, like, awards and, and the whole thing. And so, uh, so I was driving uh, by myself. I was driving the truck that had all our set pieces and props in it, so I had a lot of time to think on the, on the way over there. And, and I'd love to tell you that, man, I was thinking about uh, ways that I could really Really represent God at this festival, or ways that I could really reach my coworkers for Christ, or or make an impact with my students. But uh, I, really, I just was kind of fuming on that drive. I was just mad at the situation I found myself in, and so I kind of carried that attitude into this festival. And at the beginning of the festival, we're preparing preparing for our uh, performance, and this is an all day thing. I mean, you know, we get there in the morning, set up, perform, award, all day thing, right? And, uh, and right there, as we get started, that's when it happened. I was uh, bent over, picking a set piece out of the truck, and I heard it 
just this rip. And then I felt it just all the way down the back of my pants into my inseam. My pants just split like if somebody took a pair of scissors. I mean, it was just boom. You know, not like a little tear, but boom, the whole, just wide open, all the way down. And now remember, I was out of town, like a, like a 45-minute drive away from another pair of pants, right? Uh, and our schedule was tight. There wasn't like a time where I could be gone. I mean, I'm trying to supervise these students, whatever. I didn't have a needle and thread or anything like that. All I had was tape, tape. So I taped up my pants, that's all I could do. I like Frankensteined my pants together with tape, and I went through that whole day with taped up pants. I mean, meeting other colleagues and everything, <laughs> right? It was humiliating. I mean, there's no other word for it. Just God got my attention that day. And I had a lot of time, as it turns out, to really reflect on what God was trying to tell me and, uh, and my purpose for really being there in that job. And I'd lost sight of that. I'd, I'd lost my focus on, on what God wanted me to do. I'd been so focused on my own dissatisfaction, my own desires, uh, that I really lost sight of the fact that I was the only Christian amongst all these theater teachers. I could really impact them, and I could really impact these students if, if I'd let myself. But I was so focused on myself that I lost sight of all that, of what God really wanted me to be doing in that time. And so God got my attention. He stripped me naked. And yet God gets our attention to get our affection. It took that literal stripping for me to come to my senses and realize that I'd been sinning. I'd been so focused on the negative that I'd failed to see all the positive things and opportunities that God had and wanted to do in my life. I'd been so focused on myself that I really failed to let God even work in me, much less work through me. So let me just ask you, as you think about your life right now, where do you find yourself focused on the negative? Because right? it's really easy to get look at negative circumstances, get hyper-focused on those things. But God is so much bigger than that. And, and I think, well, don't wait for God to strip you naked before you turn your eyes off of those negative things and find the positive, because God wants your affection. There's other ways that God gets our attention. He strips us naked. The passage also tells us he makes us thirsty, verse 3. Thirsty implies we're looking for something to satisfy us, and we just can't find it. And we're always looking to satisfy ourselves, but when we look for satisfaction in anything that's other than God, God's going to make us thirsty. He's going to make us unable to be satisfied. Jesus himself talks about this very thing. One particular day, he sits down at a well in the heat of the day, and and as he's sitting there, this woman approaches. And a woman, she'd been looking her whole life for satisfaction in something other than God. She'd tasted all kinds of options, but she's still thirsty. God's trying to get her attention, right? So Jesus tells her about living water, something that will satisfy her thirst forever. And not just physical thirst, but, but spiritual thirst. And well, she says, well, when you put it that way, sure, I'll take it. Where do I go to get this living water? And Jesus tells her that real satisfaction comes only from giving yourself fully to God. He basically tells her, hey, God's getting your attention to get your affection. And God's going to make us thirsty over and over and over again until we find satisfaction in Him. 
Later on in Jesus' ministry, he's in a large crowd of people, and the book of John says this. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Each and every one of us is going to be thirsty until we find satisfaction in Jesus alone. He's the only one who can satisfy our souls in that way. Augustine, a famous Christian philosopher, he said, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, God. So one more way God gets our attention. Verse 6 uses the image of being walled in or having our path blocked. And I think there's two primary ways God wants to, to, to wall us in or block our path, and one of those is financial. You see it over and over again. I think sometimes when God wants to get our attention, he hits us right where he knows it's going to make us pay attention, right in the pocketbook. God uses finances to, to get our attention and to reveal things about our heart. And God's purpose is always uh, to get our affection. So when we find that we're using our resources on our own pleasure, our own priorities, God sometimes makes financial circumstances difficult for us, right? So if you find that you're facing a situation where you've got unexpected financial challenges, you know, expensive home repair or car repair or change in your salary at work, or maybe you're just drowning in debt with no relief in sight, if you find yourself in that kind of financial spot, it may be that God's trying to get your attention, God might be walling you in, so you have no choice but to just put your trust in Him, right? We see a loving example of this in, in one of Jesus' most well-known parables, the story of the prodigal son. The son decides he doesn't want his father so much as he wants the inheritance, and so he takes his part of the family fortune and goes off, and uh, on his own, you know the story, right? He squanders all the money, and eventually he finds himself walled in, financially speaking. He, he gets a job feeding some other person's pigs, and he's jealous of the pigs because they're eating better than he is, right? Well, God finally uses that to get his attention. Uh, God uses our financial circumstances to, to wall us in, and for this guy, that's what it takes to get him to return home to the Father, but beyond our finances, uh, one of the other ways God walls us in is through our circumstances. God uses circumstances just to make things difficult for us, right? Not because he's mean, but because God gets our attention as a way to get our affection. He knows what's best for us. Uh, all the time on uh, the blue connection cards, we get people asking for prayer about uh, changing their job, Right? And uh, a lot of times, you know, a couple of three weeks later, they'll be, hey, I got that job. Thanks for praying. That's great. But sometimes uh, that same person will say, hey, I'm still looking for a job. Keep praying for me. A few weeks later, a few weeks later, hey, still looking. Keep praying, you know. We've walked through some really long periods of people being out of work and, and looking for jobs. And uh, it could be in those kinds of situations that God is walling those people in through their circumstances because God does that. He shuts doors, maybe at work, maybe at home. Uh, he blocks us from going off in the wrong directions. He gets our attention because he wants our affection. He knows what's best for us. So let's bring this into a discussion of ourselves, make it a little bit personal. Do you feel like God's doing those things in your life right now? Is he stripping you naked Hopefully not literally, but maybe so. 
Is he making you thirsty, unable to be satisfied? Is, is God walling you in financially or blocking your path through certain circumstances in one way or another? If you're feeling any of these things, I'd say God's probably trying to get your attention. And God, he doesn't always use a Coke truck to get our attention, right? Uh, he's gracious, he's kind, he often starts off in very small and simple ways. And so if you're feeling these things, even in little ways, I would say respond to that. God's probably trying to get your attention. And so if you think that God's getting your attention, well, what do you do next? What's the next step there? Well, there's something that should happen that we really don't talk enough about. If God's making you aware of something in your life that needs to change, then the next step is to stop doing it and then confess your sin. Confess your sin. We don't talk very much about confessing, uh, confessing our sins, but it's one of these practices that really has amazing benefits. Uh, not only is it a command in the Bible, but it's also so healthy for us. It's, it's healthy, obviously, for our relationship with God, but healthy also for our own spiritual growth. I read this book recently about spiritual growth, and uh, one of the things they talked about in this book was confessing sin. And in this book, they cited this study that, that had been done a uh, study of hundreds of churches trying to understand what sort of practices really contribute to spiritual growth. And so they, they surveyed all these people, and they talk about what they call input activities and output activities, okay? And an input activity is, is something you can do to help you grow. So like uh, reading the Bible or, or praying for other people, those are input activities, right? Well, the output activities, those are things that are kind of the result of you growing. So like... Uh, uh, sharing Christ with your neighbor, okay? That's kind of a, an output of your growth. And so in this study, they're trying to figure out what input activities have the most effect on, on really helping people grow and develop habits of growth. And, and I share all this with you because one of the surprising things about this study was how the practice of confessing your sin, an input activity, had such a powerful effect on all kinds of outputs, all kinds of things to help people grow. So it, it had affected things that uh, you might expect, like helping people feel closer to God, but it also had an effect on uh, helping people become better at engaging their Bible or made people even more willing and able to share Christ. So confessing your sin, it's not just important to our relationship with God, but it's a practice that really helps you grow in, in ways that you can't even understand. And, you know, confessing sin, it doesn't have to be like a big ordeal. Uh, it doesn't have to be shame-inducing, going to a group of people and saying, hey, everybody sit down, like, we've got to talk about this, you know. I mean, nobody wants to confess sin to other people, even though all the people who know you already know that you're a sinful person, right? I mean, if they're close enough to you, they could probably confess your sins for you. But nobody wants to do it in front of other people. That's okay. So you confess your sins to God. That's okay. I mean, of course, he already knows as well, but there's just something about uh, uh, just being honest with him. It's so freeing and, and so valuable. Uh, just agreeing with God about what you've done or, or the things that you've been thinking about, and it's so freeing. It's no wonder it's such a valuable way to grow in your faith, right? And confessing, that's how we get back to God. It's what draws us back to Him. He gets our attention, and when we confess, we're, we're giving Him that affection, just ultimately giving Him our love for Him and our dependence on Him. So God gets our attention with the purpose of getting our affection, and His discipline then becomes really just an act of kindness and an act of grace. 
He wants what's best for us, which really ultimately is just more of Him. He wants us to find that satisfaction in Him, and which is the only real satisfaction that there is. So I want us to commit to pay attention to God, pay attention to how He's trying to get our affection. Let me pray for us. God, we uh, confess that uh, very often we fail to pay attention to you when you are graciously trying to get our attention. We fail to uh, give you all the due that you deserve in our lives and pray that you would uh, use uh, these words from Hosea to, to get our attention in a gracious way, to help us understand the things that you want to be uh, doing in our lives that are different now and give us the, uh, the awareness and the courage to confess those things to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.